0: This is the Environmental Echo, brought to you by P.W. Grocer Consulting, and I am your host, Paul Boyce, President and CEO of P.W. Grocer. And today we've got a great guest, uh, one of our clients and friends, Mark Hissey from Discoveryland Company. Uh, Mark's been with Discoveryland for, oh gosh, several years now, <laughs> and uh, he's originally uh, from Wales in the United Kingdom. Discoveryland is a you know, a development company based out of uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. And they are doing some work here on Long Island, and we're involved with those projects with him. Um, Mark, actually, came to the United States back in 1980 to study at Harvard University. Uh, You know, a little school like that. That's a nice place. I've been there a few times. (laughs) Um, But he's been involved with a a bunch of variety of different types of real estate types of positions here on Long Island and in in the United States. But most of all, Mark is a big fan of golf. Um, I would like to say I am, too. Uh, I, I do enjoy the game. But my, if you could call it a game, <laughs> what I'm playing, it's more like uh, a shooting match, all right, <laughs> with, a, with a crooked rifle. But um, it, it is a fun sport. It's a, it's a good time. Uh, there's a lot of courses here on Long Island. I've, I've looked it up. There's, uh, you know, oh gosh, I, I forgot exactly how many different courses there are in between Nassau and Suffolk County, but there are literally dozens, if not pushing hundreds. That's correct. Uh, and they're, you know, both public and private and um all over the place real interesting stuff um, but he's been involved with a couple of u- really unique courses and one that comes to p- particular to mind is Sabonic Golf Club out in Southampton uh, which is a really terrific course and was a great project to be a part of with Mark um, and recently they, they, they had held the the uh, US women's Open out there in 2013 uh, which mark was the director for of that which uh, interesting enough was won by NB Park if I remember correctly that is correct. and that's correct you know Quite a quite a um, quite an event, uh, but today we're going to focus on some of the the environmental issues that golf courses face as they develop and operate and maintain these things. Uh, maybe a little bit about the public public perception on these courses. You know um, uh, how they you know fit and work with the environment here, particularly on Long Island, and maybe in some other parts of the country. Um, but it's, it's certainly Long Island is a unique environment. And Mark, that's what I'd like to start with, is you know you know you've been involved with projects throughout the United States and and around the world, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. Um, but, but as I just mentioned, Long Island is a very unique region. You know what makes it so unique here to do a project on Long Island?
1: Um, I think it's the combination of uh, there just being a very heavy. Um, uh, uh, population density out here and also abundant water resources you know we've got a we've got a tremendous population on a relatively small place and so um without uh if we don't pay really strict attention to what's going on the water resources are going to get destroyed um you know it's 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 been in rough shape uh, over the past years and uh and i think that we've really got to make sure that we find genuine solutions to the issues that we have it's uh it's not just groundwater; it's the bay waters. Um, you know, we've we've had a very robust uh, shellfish industry in Long Island, which is which is in dire straits, and it all fits into one another. Uh, and I think it's about time that we look at realistic uh, efforts to protect the environment, protect our water resources, and and take care of a growing population out here. You know, we can't we can't let the economy go to waste.
0: Now, you you touched on a lot of good points there that are germane to what the environmental echo is all about. The the environment, you you mentioned not only the groundwater, but the surface water. uh, And and one of the biggest issues we're facing on Long Island uh, with with our water supply and our surface water bodies is nitrogen, you know. And that is a a, a key component of fertilizer. And we know golf courses have a lot of turf, a lot of grasses that that do need to be fertilized and and maintained. can you just share with us a little bit, maybe, what golf courses are trying to do to manage some of the, say, nitrogen
1: issues? Um, so I'll, I'll address that by uh, saying, first of all, um, I've got to give some credit to uh, Dr. Chris Gobler. Um, you know, he has done a tremendous amount of work in, uh, in taking care of the, the, uh, the bay waters uh, around us. Um, you know, he's really become a driving force in, in bringing that to the forefront uh and um you know he's a smart guy and uh he presents himself well and uh you know i i think he's he's a real game changer in long island um and chris has become a a friend of mine over the last uh, five or ten years since i've gotten to know him but i'd go back further to uh for instance when we when we built Sabonic. um there was a golf course that was built out in bridgehampton called uh, the bridge and um when that went through a very rigorous um, uh, protocol for um, for making sure they protected the environment properly, but it was really focused mostly on um, on water testing, uh, accompanied by an integrated turf health management plan, which they devised along with the town of Southampton and with Cornell University, and they came up with this really um, really aggressive plan to make sure that they protected the groundwater. Um, But it was just focused solely on testing. Um, They came up with a list of pesticides, which had very low velocity and very low toxicity. Um, And they also really micromanaged how much nitrogen they put down in order to make the golf course look right. Um, I think in days gone by, 60s, 70s, into the 80s, Things were just done willy nilly, to be honest with you. You know, uh, there was that sort of trap that they fell into with Augusta National, where everything looked really emerald green, and everybody <laughs> wanted the golf <laughs> course to look like that. Yep. You know, and even that was a little bit um, uh, fictitious, because I've been to Augusta a number of times, and when you actually get on the ground there, you know, it's not absolutely perfect, and that's the way golf is supposed to be. That's the way the environment is supposed to be, but i'm digressing a little bit here so um so just going back to what we did at Sabonic, when we were looking at permitting there um we took things one step further we decided to embrace the um the integrated turf health management plan which had worked very well at the bridge Um, but we went one step further in that we said okay we're going to give a a security blanket for the golf course most of the product that we use on a golf course is on greens they get a crum- they they're under tremendous amount of pressure through mowing really tightly, rolling them, um, and so it, it requires you to put a lot more product on them. So what we did up there was we uh, we lined the greens, and so uh, that was a really innovative uh, effort on our part. Um, it had been done twice before, up at the Vineyard Club in Martha's Vineyard, um, and at the Preserve in Northern California, and. Um, But we decided to take it a a step further than that, even, and we created a closed loop system uh, where the Greens had their own irrigation and drainage systems. And we've been under, Sabonica's been uh, undergoing these, um, you know, this scrutiny now for the last uh, 16 years, Um, and the water quality results have been nothing short of spectacular. So the fact that uh, golf courses, I feel, get unfairly maligned. Uh, by some of the environmental community is completely contradicted by hard evidence that's available out there.
0: That's, I mean, that's terrific. I love the, the lining concept. Can you just tell us a little bit about how that works, what kind of liner is under the greens, and, you know, how you collect, so let's say, you know, the, the excess runoff, and, and, you know, I don't want to call it leachate like a landfill, but the excess maybe fertilizer or, or nitrogen that then gets past the turf and in, onto the liner.
1: Um, so it's, um, what, uh, we created them with a 40-mil um, high-density polyethylene liner, Um we, we found that PVC had a chance to de- deteriorate, so we decided to go with something a bit more robust. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, once we knew what kind of greens we wanted uh, design, um, we custom-made these liners. They were made at a company out in Colorado, they were shipped into New York, uh, and then they were welded in place. And then um, an important factor on this was, We had US USGA green specifications for the green up above it, so that is um, that is drainage tile, gravel, sand, greens mix, and then finally seed on the top, and that gives you a really solid uh, base for growing healthy turf. And if you've got healthy turf, you can minimize the amount of product that you use on them. So, um, as far as the uh, the leachate is concerned. We were speculating as to whether we could, uh, we could do things just right, where there'd be very little of that. And if you control how much you irrigate the place, uh, then you can do that. And at, at times, it's been very difficult to get any leachate off it to test. Oh, wow. So, you know, if you pay attention, you can really manage these things tremendously well. And I think gradually the, uh, you know, the Gulf Coast community, sure, I'll bet there's still bad actors out there, but in general... Uh, it's gone undergone a tremendous transformation in how they do business these guys are scientists they're not uh, you know they're not ex potato farmers they know what they're doing and they produce a great product and it's environmentally safe wow and so you, you
0: mentioned that that turf structure there the, the various layers so how deep is the liner below say the the grass. Uh, it's about 18 inches. So it's 18 inches down. Yeah. And then it's. I assume it's. It's piped to like a, a tank that may have a recirculating pump to use it for fertilizing or, or a- irrigation or.
1: Actually, it's diverted to its own irrigation pond. Perfect. Um, so the uh so to in order to irrigate the main part of the golf course, the most of the golf course, that is water that is pumped out of the aquifer. hmm Um, then that is used uh, everywhere on the golf course, but the but the. Water that comes off the greens is filtered to a completely separate uh, irrigation pond, and that water is used on the greens also. Wow. So were
0: there any other um, unique environmental aspects to Sabonic besides, say, like just the, the greens management? Was it, what, what about the fairways or the, the roughs or the tees, anything else?
1: Again, that, uh, that's the integrated turf health management program. Um, there are uh, six irrigation wells out there along with uh, 18 lysimeters. Which are essentially trip wires to give you an indication as mm-hmm. to whether something is going south, and uh, again, all of those get checked twice a year. Um, as a matter of fact, they were done four, four times a year to begin with, but because the results were so good, it was deemed appropriate to ratchet them back to twice a year because we wouldn't get any any extra data that was, uh, of, you know, of any use. To be honest with you, so besides the the, the application of like fertilizers
0: or maybe pesticides or um, fungicides or, or whatever else you might have to, to actually treat the the turf with, water conservation, you know, that's, that's a big deal. Um, as you, you brought it up. We're on an aquifer. It's a sole source aquifer here on Long Island, which means, you know, everybody in Nassau and Suffolk, we get our drinking water from the ground. You know, it's, it's a vital, important resource to us. Um, you know, it's not inexhaustible. I mean, there is a lot of water down there. There's a lot of clean water down there too. But, again, it's not infinite. You know, so we do have to take care how we manage that presi- precious resource. I know the state, the DEC, they have, you know, pumpage caps and, and those sort of things in place. But what do they do with S- Sabonic to um, manage how much water they use use or how they conserve water?
1: Um, you know, they've got a fantastic superintendent out there who really knows what he's doing. Um, his name's Garrett Boddington, good friend of mine, and um, he, uh, you know, it's trial and error, uh, you know, it's a certain degree. You know, they've got caps also on there. It's not like they can just keep pumping, uh, you know, infinite amounts of water um, out of the ground and, and using it on the golf course. But um, but it's a manner of making sure that, you know, t- don't water when you don't need it. You know, it's, uh, it's, it, it really is experience that counts.
0: Well, what about, you know, you've heard climate change or global warming, th- terms like that. Do you see that, any effects to, you know, water usage, water consumption, or any other type of uh, golf course management? Have you guys seen anything recently affecting, you know, Uh, like temperatures uh, going up or severe storms or anything?
1: Well, um, with Discovery Land uh, in particular, we've got a lot of our places that are out west, and it's been a real concern for us that we've, um, you know, that we've got some massive fires out there. Uh, You know, for instance, up in Idaho this year uh, where we have a place called Gaza Ranch. Um, there was a, uh, you know, there's a not only a fear of um, of having these forest fires come ripping through the property, um, but also the fact that you've got a golf course that's that isn't hasn't been used to these uh, these, uh, you know, these conditions uh, before, and it's uh, it's it's been really difficult. It's been really difficult. You know, you've you've got to, to some degree, you've got to embrace brown a little bit. You know, this this emerald green look is, um, <laughs> like I said. It, it, it's funny. High-definition TV made a big difference with um, the perception of Augusta um, because now all of a sudden you saw, well, it's not like it looked in the 80s. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's it actually does, isn't perfect, and that's okay. Um, so I think that people probably years ago were trying to attain a level that was – fictitious anyway unattainable yeah <laughs> completely unattainable exactly yeah oh wow well that, that's interesting um i'd like to get away from
0: sabonic a little bit and now go into a uh, sort of a current project that discovery land is, is is working on it has certainly received a lot of you know publicity and press in the last oh geez three four five years or so mm-hmm. um, and that would be what is now known as the lewis road prd which um, prd is planned residential development if i'm not mistaken yep Um, That is out in East Quag, which is in the town of Southampton. That is, you guys are looking to currently develop a a new golf course, 18-hole golf course, with some residential units. Uh, If I'm not mistaken, was it 118? 118, okay. Um, With some other amenities like clubhouse and obviously some uh, athletic fields and and a few other, you know, nice features. Um, Can you tell us what's going on with the status of that project right
1: now? Uh, yeah, we, um, we received approval from the Pine Barrens Commission um, earlier on this year. Um, that, was, um, that was a, a lengthy process. Um, and as you know, there's um, you know, there, there are some very specific conditions that you need to meet in order to get their approval. Um, and um, luckily enough, um, judging by the, uh, the Pine Barrens Commission, they voted uh, that we passed all 31 that were appropriate to us. Um, and so, um, so yeah, we 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 got their approval, which was which was quite a difficult task. But I think that's indicative of the fact that we're um, we are completely committed to doing the right thing out here, from an environmental standpoint. Um, it's morally and practically the right thing to do. You know, you cannot operate willy nilly and do whatever you want in the environment, and so. Uh, Uh, I think that um, that's an indication of our commitment to doing the right thing, and so uh, and the Pine Barrens Commission realized that. Yeah, I'd love to get into some of the environmental aspects
0: that you guys are facing or challenges that you've taken on. Like we could start with um, the residential aspect, you know, putting in a sewage treatment plant, sewering the whole site, you know, as opposed to individual sanitary systems. Um, I mean, it's certainly you guys have the density to do pretty much anything you want in terms of the size of the site. Um, I, I shouldn't say anything you want, but within reason. Um, uh, tell us a little bit about the, the sewage treatment plant that you guys are planning.
1: Um, so we were um, uh, w- there, there's five acre zoning on this property, six hundred nine acres, and um, and. We really, all we need, at the time we started the project, we wouldn't have even needed IA systems. Um, but now the mm. IA systems are on board, obviously, yep. you know, that would be a requirement to put in. But still, it was five-acre density. We, we were in really good shape from an environmental standpoint. However, um, as an indication of Discovery's commitment to, again, doing the right thing, um, we decided we were going to put a sewage treatment plant in there to up the level even more. So even though we do have that five-acre density, um, we're gonna make that water rather than it be uh you know at a level of twenty, we're hopefully gonna get it down to, you know, in the, in low single digits. Single digits, yeah. Um and that will be uh that will be a huge boost to the environment. And um we've actually got a um and I have got to give kudos here to P W Grosser because it was your uh your founder's uh brilliant idea to come up with this was um we have a situation out there that's uh, that's it was really just circumstance just uh, foisted upon us. But there are farm fields that are to the northwest of the property. Yep. And um, Paul Grosser from your place came, thought up the idea that if we could put intercept wells um, to intercept the plume of water which is going to be coming off those farm fields forever, uh, we could use that uh, nitrogen-laden water on the golf course and that would eat up more of the nitrogen and prevent it from going into the bay. Uh, Paul provided all the calculations to show that that was, uh, that was academically sound, and, uh, you know, that will create a situation that is, um, is going to really clean up the bays. You know, that that's, has no direct effect on us, but I think it's a great uh, residual benefit of, uh, of uh, you know, of, of building our project, and it's, it's a unique situation. Where this golf course is going to be able to prevent a, a very long a, a, a perpetual problem,
0: I, t- I think it's a great idea. You know that the, the whole concept of you know using what's there as opposed to bringing in more. You know uh, you're taking it out of the environment, so it's almost like a uh, a negative effect on the on the amount of nitrogen that's there. You know we are f- removing what's being put in and and using it to you
1: know maintain the turf. Uh, that's correct. I mean Paul came up with the calculations that. Were that golf course not there, the situation would be
0: worse. Oh, I don't doubt it. And Mr. Gobler and everybody else who've studied places like the Bay and Wee Suck Creek and, and other features, surface water bodies that are, you know, near and around the golf course, you know, they, they've all agreed, you know, it, it's a benefit. Absolutely. So it's, that's tremendous, you know. And it's been great to be a part of that project with you guys. Anything else out there that's, uh, you know, the, the in terms of Lewis Road PRD? Um, what you guys are looking forward to doing, maybe with the community?
1: Um, yeah, well, we've, um, you know, we made a, um, in the original project, we made a, a, a huge amount of commitments to, um, uh, to getting the, uh, the project approved. Um, they're pretty well documented in, in the press. Um, unfortunately, the first time around, um, for whatever reason, the, the science wasn't paid attention to. And uh, our original approval was not uh, received. And uh, as a result, there were a lot of benefits that were lost. And um, I think that's kind of a sad state of affairs. I I wish that we would... I really dislike the way the politics overlaps with science. Ultimately, science has got to win. uh, And people don't create their own science. And this is very much a situation as to where a really good project could have been uh, approved first time around and politics got in the way. Oh man, I, I, I could really
0: digress and jump right into current events with what you said and I, I couldn't agree with you more, you know. Politics versus science and, and sometimes they just they, they don't align <laughs> and it's it really it's it's a difficult situation. Yeah. Um you know, in, in the past, you know, we we've, we've, we've mentioned a little bit of this, you know, golf courses have been specifically targeted by opponents as being polluters. You know of the, of the region of the region's groundwater um but and, and you've already made this as, as you know as, as your case but what kind of experience have you had with you know saying no that's not the case and w- what have you used to back up you know you know put your money where your mouth is to tell these guys we're not having that effect
1: um i take a look at the uh results that have happened out in the town of southampton alone uh, there are two golf courses now that have been extensively analyzed over the last 20 years. Their uh, water quality results have been nothing short of spectacular. And it, it's it's living proof right there. There's two lab tests that are going on in perpetuity uh, that uh, that is proving that a golf course being managed the right way can do wonderful things. And uh, look, I won't make any bones about it, you know, I do love the game. Um, like you i think you indicated that i'm not a great golfer but i love the game yep. and i love being out there in the in the open and i think that um when you have pioneering golf courses like like golf at the bridge and sabonic golf club um and now what we're doing here um i think that's the proof is in the pudding um you know the the gentleman who founded sabonic is a a man who's Near and dear to my heart, who I worked for for 30 years in this very building, as it turns out, ironically. <laughs> um, but um, Michael Pascucci made a very firm commitment to be doing the right thing. And uh, hey, we held a women's open, and uh, and everybody loved it. And uh, so you can have excellence and you can protect the environment. That's proof.
0: Uh, I love it. But what's so what are we what's being done to, to, to help educate the public to understand that, you know, the perception they have is maybe not reality you know it it isn't as bad as as they think or seem to claim
1: it would be it would be nice if the golf authorities um, reached out a little bit more to be honest with you National Golf Foundation maybe the USGA to some degree um, I think that they could up their efforts to engage with the environmental communities to show what golf is really all about Uh, unfortunately I'd say an awful lot of the environmental groups use golf as a convenient scapegoat um, rather than zero in on scientifically who are the real culprits for the for the dire situations that we have around here you know it's i know we have to grow food but we have to grow food responsibly so it doesn't affect people's drinking water and the shellfish industry and recreation out in the bays it's a you know it's a it's a symbiotic relationship that needs to be had and uh, and i think that. uh you know, it's incumbent upon uh, the golf uh, community to reach out a bit more. But I think it's also incumbent upon the politicians and environmental groups to sit down and genuinely want to cr- uh, address real issues in an open manner rather than having presupposed ideas that are f- factually incorrect. Interesting. Let me, let
0: me ask you a question, you know, a little, little off what we just talked about, but um, – My grandmother was born in 1900, died in like 1998, 99, almost 100 years old. And before she died, I asked her, you know, what was, you know, over your life, what was the biggest change, biggest improvement you've seen with, you know, anything? And and she went on to say, you know, it was medicine, you know, from 1900 to 1999, how it improved with, you know, being able to look inside the body without having to cut it open and, you know, treating people in healthcare and all that stuff. So with, with over your career with golf courses, you know, what do you see as the, as the biggest environmental improvement over the last several decades? You know, what, was, what are the biggest changes you've seen roll out and have some real impact?
1: Um, the way that the golf courses have been managed by the superintendents. I mean, if you look at how things were in the, you know, it, it was really an afterthought was how you look after the golf course, you know. It, it, you, we've gone through an interesting transition. Um, if you go, <laughs> if American golfers go over to Europe and play golf, they say, oh, it's awesome. Golf course is really rustic and it looks really cool. That type of golf course would used to be unacceptable in America. <laughs> <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> the moment they get on the plane and come back to the states, then you know it's a different story. Um, so I would say that you've got superintendents now who, rather than being, uh, you know, transformed uh, turf growers or farmers or whatever, which which had happened years ago. Uh, you know how guys who were going to college, doing real programs, who were learning about the yeah, science yeah, of yeah. growing turf, um, and it's come on in leaps and bounds. I mean, you've got you've got different genetic types of turf that do well in certain areas and not in others. Ones that are more disease resistant, ones that don't need so much water, uh, and so it's the technology has pr- improved it, but it's also the education with the uh, with the superintendents where these guys are brilliant and they got a very difficult job and they do it well.
0: I I've got I got to agree with you. I've I've seen some courses offered. I've I've even seen some textbooks on turf management and stuff and it's just from an engineering standpoint I was totally impressed. Yeah. So it's uh, that's that's great. The smart guys, Paul. Without a doubt, you know, it's it's not it's more to than just putting some fertilizer down and, and watering the lawn so to speak like I do in my backyard. That's just by like you said, complete hapstance luck that I get green grass. <laughs> All right. Um, but Discoveryland, you guys are also working with a former surfside hotel in West Hampton Beach that's now known as the Dune Deck. Yeah. Right. That's another interesting project. And me, some of the listeners know I'm an avid surfer. I love the beach. I love the water. So I've been down there many, many times. I know the area very well. Um what are some of the environmental and resiliency issues that uh, Discovery Land's faced while pursuing that development?
1: That one's gone pretty painlessly. We, we our environmental issue there um, really was um, was flooding. Uh, you know that was an area that was really susceptible to flooding, and uh, during um, Superstorm Sandy, uh, that particular area got really battered. Um, and so when we uh, when we rebuilt Dune Deck, we decided what we'll do is sh- demolish everything. So we took it down, pulled all the piles out, and we repiled. We lifted the whole site and repiled the whole site. So, uh, you know, even though we were required to lift the site, that wasn't a bad thing because it improved the views. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it is a nice view down here. But there were also, you know, um, that was a a legacy that um, it had been going on for, uh, it, it had been there since the 40s, I believe. And so it was a sort of a, a random number of buildings, a, a lot of which uh, encroached into the dunes, which wasn't really environmentally a good thing. Um, and so we came up with a design where we pulled everything back off the beach, um, and we uh, we pulled in from our neighbors also, which gave them a little bit more breathing space. Um, and then the whole site got lifted. Um, and one of the things that we did have to pay attention to down there was the piping plovers. Um, you know, they're federally... Um, federally protected bird um, yep. and that was something that we needed to work around which we did very diligently and the DC were great partners with us on that they uh, they couldn't have been nicer and we got the place built in pretty quickly we're actually facing similar situations up at the um, up at the uh, Lewis Road PRD um, you know there's issues with the northern long-eared bat which we know is a, is a uh, as an endangered species, we're really going out of our way to make sure that gets taken care of, and we're working hand-in-hand with the Pine Bounds Commission and with the environmental uh, officer over at Southampton to make sure that we uh, we do everything right up there. We, we're we 100% committed to it.
0: Glad to hear it, and we're glad to be a part of that with you. Um, so just between the two projects, is there any you know sort of interrelation between the two? Once, once uh, Lewis Road's developed, is there going to be any type of, you know,
1: they're not linked per se. They, okay. are, they, are, um, they are two separate projects. They happen to be in close proximity to one yep. another. Um, um, I would guess that uh, an awful lot of people will end up joining both. Okay. Um, but so far, things have been going great down at Dune Deck. It's been going great guns, and uh, people seem to love it down there, and food's great. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> um, one last question on Lewis Road PRD.
0: Yeah. Maybe not last, but... Do we have a start date in mind yet? When when are we going to break ground? You know, uh, as the engineers here, we're excited to to build something, to work on it with you. I mean, it's
1: I know there's still a lot of stuff to to work out yet, but I can't wait to start writing those checks for you. Believe me. (laughs) Um, But um, no, it's um, um, I'm cautiously optimistic that we're uh, we're going to get an okay uh, in the first quarter of next year. Be able to start work. we've um we just need to get a couple decisions made um uh, got to hear on a couple of things before we um uh we got a final plat with um uh with the t- town of southampton planning department um but that's uh that should happen this fall and uh, i'm anticipating that uh, that everything's going to go really well with that and uh hopefully we'll get the green light to start in the new year
0: oh gosh it's been a long time coming yeah, we, we Really looking forward to it for you guys. I can't wait. Me neither can't wait. <laughs> um, so then, you know, just to wrap things up, Mark, you know, we're trying to – don't want to take up your entire day here, and we appreciate your time. But I know you guys have – you know, you've worked on numerous golf courses. You know, you're working on one on Long Island right now in a climate where a lot of golf courses are, you know, They're going out of business you Mm -hmm. know a couple of them closed down they're redeveloping you know they're putting up whatever apartments condos where some used to be i could think of one right in proximity to our own office in bohemia Um, you know what are the keys to maintaining a successful golf course in in the current economic and and social
1: climates well um i liken it to this um there are uh, just like the restaurant business you've got a number of different cuisines you can go to you can go to Indian, you can go to Italian, you can go to Chinese, whatever. Um, golf course isn't one big business. There are a number of different segments in it. You've got low-end private, you've got high-end private, you've got low-end public, you've got high-end public. You've got resort golf, which is what we are, or rather residential golf, excuse me. Then you've got resort golf also. There's a number of different sectors there. And uh, each one needs to be managed differently. Um, with a lot of private clubs, um, you know, some of them just overspent, didn't run things well, um, and just didn't didn't survive. Ironically, one of the biggest shots in the arms for the golf business in the last four decades has been COVID. Uh, it is the uh, <laughs> no you pun know.
0: intended there with the shot in the arm. Huh? Oh <laughs> God, you got me.
1: <laughs> uh, no, it was uh, It's 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 been tremendous. It was one of the first uh, um, you know activities that was said well. That one's probably quite safe, uh, and that's the way it has turned out, you know. So I mean, you know, yeah. uh, the amount of golf being played last year has been tremendous compared to every other year. Uh, went absolutely through the ceiling everywhere Yeah, year around yeah. the world. Um, so yeah, it's it's uh, it, it it was a big difference, and and you know, it was uh it was great for the golf industry in general because um, you know we were starting to fall on hard times, no question about it. We overbuilt. There's no question about that either that went um, there were just too many courses that were built uh, you know in the 70s and 80s and but now it's sort of turned full circle and it seems to be thriving again uh,
0: I mean anytime I go down to a course there's always people waiting to get on waiting for a tea time or you know it's just there to me it seems like there's a demand you know yep. but uh, it just it was weird to see a few of them you know close their doors and become something
1: else after after years
0: in business yeah
1: yeah yeah, generally, they were private clubs, Yep, They were. Yep.
0: So, Mark, uh, as I said, we'd like to wrap this up. Do you have any last thoughts or ideas you want to share or anything we didn't cover today?
1: Um, for me, it's just, um, I, you know, I found the whole water issue, and I've learned an awful lot from you guys uh, over the years. Um, and, uh, you know, it was something that wasn't on my radar at all 20 years ago, but now, I you know, I'm very conscious of it. And... Um, Yeah, the really—the one thing that I would just uh, love to stress is I hate the fact that uh, science gets trodden over by politics. Um, And uh, ultimately, I think it's incumbent upon the politicians who are in a position to do something about it um, is to to really do the right thing and listen to the scientists and see, you know, not come up with their own ideas for political expediency or whatever. I think it's really important to do the right thing for the people in general, and that's to protect the water.
0: Well said, Mark, and that's, uh, you know, Jermaine, the PW grocer, yeah. PWGC. You know, uh, we started out as a water resources company. We're, we're a lot more than that these days, but um, that is our one of our core focuses, and uh, we'll stand by you on that 100%. So I, I do want to thank you today for your time and having you a guest, as a guest. Again, this is uh, Mark Hissey, a senior vice president with Discoveryland Company based out of Scottsdale, Arizona. And uh, again, I'm Paul Boyce, the host, president and CEO of PWGC. And if you guys have any questions or comments or issues you'd like us to further address regarding this topic, please reach out to us at our website, pwgrocer.com podcast, and we'd be happy to get in touch with you. Thank you for listening to the Environmental Echo today, and we look forward to seeing you guys soon in the future. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Mark.